right now at this point in my life, I feel like my writing is, is pretty like, um, I don't know, like insular, like it's like, you know, a bit right. of a, a, of a coping mechanism for, you know, a lot of my mental health shit. So it's kind of like, right. I, like, I, not that I would never co-write again, but I'm kind of loving this complete independence. You're listening to Having a Chat, the show where we take interesting people with interesting tastes in music and talk to them about the music that they love. I'm Alex Spears, and this week on the show, we are chatting with a singer-songwriter, Meg Warren. With her latest solo project, Meg moves beyond the poppy sounds that she was known for with her former band, Ray Partee, and embraces a much more rock and roll, stripped-down, lo-fi sound. She's got a new EP out, and we're very excited to have her with us to chat about some music. This is Having a Chat. Meg, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, so I want to start things off. I, I'm always interested in exploring, like, or rather chatting with artists who have a project that they're known for and then for whatever reason move on to something else. And particularly in your case, because there does appear to be a pretty big sonic shift um, mm. between your new stuff and, and stuff with your older band. And it's this one seems a bit more, you know, almost more rocky if you want to mm-hmm. call it that more lo-fi mm-hmm. um so we're gonna we're gonna kick things off with your with your latest song bomb but i want to kind of explore what prompted that shift mm. that's a really interesting question and um honestly it's something that i've thought a lot about because i don't feel like it was like a real intentional shift right um but i definitely do feel like i i i i hold that thought to be true and then at the same time i also feel like you know there is a part of me that i i mean i was sitting in that pop world for so long it was like you know um i don't know years of of writing and kind of exclusively listening to pop music um, Mm -hmm. with the intention of it getting played on radio and, and like pop radio stations and stuff like that. Like, I I feel like I kind of um, wanted to explore something that was a little bit different. And like, Mm -hmm. I mean, when my old band repartee, when we first started, we were a little bit more indie and not quite as slick as, um, as you know what we kind of ended up being and like i i love that music i will always love pop music and and you know it like pop music heavily influences the stuff that i'm doing now even if sonically it is quite a bit different Mm -hmm. um but yeah i mean maybe some of it was intentional um and i think other parts of it were just like like a lot of it too came from the fact that i was like writing um my partner bought this like you know old not old but like this like beater nylon string guitar that we just had in our living room so like I wrote a lot of the songs on that so it's like you know I think a lot of that also kind of 
shaped what the song sounded like. Right. Yeah. Like you can't, you can't necessarily, or, or rather, I, I guess you wouldn't want to transition that into like synths and stuff like that. It's kind of just, it, it's great as it is. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a, it's a fun time for me to explore this other style of writing because right. like I said, I, I was so kind of rigidly in that pop world for so long that it's like, okay, what happens if I, you know, don't record everything and make it sound as slick as possible. And, right. you know, I don't like hard tune the vocals or like yeah. hard squash them or, you know, like what, what can I, how can I play around a little bit on something that's like a little less um, structured right. sonically? Yeah. So I, I want to go back and explore something that you, that you talked about was just like the pressure to get it on radio. Did you find that that was limiting creatively and like how, how has your approach and sort of outlook changed on that? Like with that respect? Um, I don't think I really found it limiting. Um, like there's nothing about what, we were doing or like what my role was within that band at the time that like I I was all about it and like I said right. like I really love pop music and like um I I feel a little bit differently now but I can't tell if that's because like I'm older and I'm just like you know a bit right. of an old fart now or like why is it mature yeah um, of course <laughs> But I definitely was, you know, listening to a lot of radio stuff. And, like, I found that as a songwriter, it was kind of nice to, like, rein in some of the the boundaries. Like, you know, if you're given complete freedom to write something, it can be really hard. Because it's like, you know, I don't know. Like, it, it took us a while to kind of hone in our style. And there were all of these, like, external factors. Like, you know, having a record label, having a booking agent, um, trying to kind of figure out what was like a, a an actual path that we could go down right. um and like the radio thing like we were very lucky that that happened to work out uh, in some small way so it was like you know i was totally on board with that yeah i didn't find it restraining at all
Um, so I want to I want to get into the songs that you picked for us. Um, we're going to start things off with Hayden, um, Trees Lounge. Uh, what do you like about Hayden? Um, well, I um, when I was a kid, I was exposed to a lot of music through my older brother. He's five years older than I am. And um, he was into a lot of like uh, that kind of post grunge um like Weezer and Ben Folds 5 and that kind of thing and um I like fully grew up on much music like I I, right. I watched it all the time I remember um the the video for uh, Bad As They Seem was I think my first exposure to Hayden and then I don't even remember if I um like I don't, I don't remember why I kind of like glommed onto this song, but I just, right. I, I rediscovered it a couple years back, and like, it's just perfect. Like lyrically, it just seems to be about something so like, kind of, you know, like, it's not like particularly deep. It just seems to be about this guy who's like hitting on a woman at the bar, and like, you know, right. like it, it's kind of like, um has this like beautiful harmonic structure with like all kinds of pop influences like this is what I mean when I say like I love pop and like to me you know like looking at this kind of like post-grunge rock style mm -hmm. a lot of it has like harmonic pop influences and they have like beautiful right. choruses and like you know like this that trees lounge song is just um it's just beautiful. I right. like I don't I don't know how else to really talk about it, but it's just an absolutely beautiful song.
So uh, next we're going to get into uh, Fifi. Is it Fifi Dobson? Fifi Dobson, yeah. Yeah. So um, don't let it go to your head. What yeah. do you like about her? Well, um, so I'm 33. So I, you know, like I was kind of a, a preteen teenager around, like I'm like a, a true millennial, I think right. by, the, by the definition. I'm like pretty smack dab in the middle there. And when Fifi Dobson came out, uh, she had this single called Bye Bye Boyfriend in mm-hmm. like probably 2001, maybe 2002. Yeah. And I was just like, wow, like here's this like young girl my age or close to my age. She's fronting a band. She was doing it like, especially like Bye Bye Boyfriend and Take Me Away. And like her early singles were like pretty in line with like that fallout boy emo kind of stuff and i was like i don't know i was just really taken by the fact that she was like a young girl canadian um and fronting this like heavy rock band and she's like kind of kind of weird and i don't even mean that in like a in a in like a, a a bad way i mean like she kind of moves in like um like her like stage moves and stuff kind of like entrance you like watching her like dance around in her videos and stuff it's like almost like a Mick Jagger kind of thing where like he looks kind of weird when he does it but like draws you in um and I loved that stuff and then um in that song don't let it go to your head came out in 2005 but I actually didn't really get super into it until a couple of years later and I don't I don't remember how I discovered it but it's one of those songs where like even now, like I was listening to it last night while I was getting ready for this playlist. And I right. was like, that's one of those songs that I wish that I wrote. Like it just <laughs> has this like, you know, like very basic, simple structure and this like, you know, soaring chorus with like these, you know, like really gritty guitars. And um, she's just singing about this thing that's like, you know kind of sounds like a nonchalant idea but like it just it it's like I don't know it just like really tears at my heartstrings and I just think that she's like a brilliant writer and and um unfortunately sometimes gets overlooked in in like Canadian Canadian music history and um you know she's like she's um Jordan Sparks did that song and like she's written for Miley Cyrus and like you know like yeah she's a very talented writer and um I just have been following her for a long time. I just, I think she's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, like something that we've talked about with, with other like singer songwriters on the show is this, like this idea that you can, yeah, you can have like your solo career, but you can also get kind of wrapped up in like that whole sort of writing for other people game. I mean, like mm-hmm. Tobias Gesso Jr. Is, yeah. is like a big example of that, that we've talked about on the show before. Um, yeah. Do you, do you see that as something that is at all enticing for you or, or, or are you, more keen on uh, sticking with the path that you're currently on? Um, I think that there was a period in my life where I would have been into that. Um, I think that now, um, I don't know, there, there might be a time when I come back to it, but I'm not like, I've met songwriters that work that way. And like, right. when you meet them, they just like bleed songwriting and like, they'll like, you know, be like, Hey, we should get together for a session. And like, like that's, they just genuinely love just writing for the sake yeah. of writing and getting it out there. And like, um, 
you know, I think that there are uh, like a lot of people that I know that love that. I, I don't right now at this point in my life, I feel like my writing is, is pretty like, um, I don't know, like insular, like it's like, you know, a bit right. of a, a, of a coping mechanism for, you know, a lot of my mental health shit. So it's kind of like, right. I, like, I, not that I would never co-write again, but I'm kind of loving this complete independence. Yeah. Um, and I do like, you know, working with other people in terms of like production and engineering, like that's a world that I would like to get more into in terms of right. collaboration. Um, but yeah, I don't think the behind the scenes writing pop writing thing is like, um, something that I'm like particularly drawn to. So what if I came clean? I told you all you mean to me. And so what if I'm in every word I said? Baby, don't let it go to your head. So what if I write your name? Cause you're always on my brain. In the heart, I paint a crimson red. Baby, don't let it go.
All right. So next we're going to get into uh, Kim Stockwood with Jerk. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you like about Kim Stockwood? Well, she is a fellow Newfoundlander. Right. And um, that song was gigantic. Like, I, I get the sense that you're probably too young to remember it. Because I think it came out in like 1996 or something. Yeah, so maybe? I wasn't even born then. <laughs> right. So you have no memory of it. Um but it was huge. And, yeah. you know, here's this woman from Newfoundland and she's like, it's like, it's a sonically and visually like the music video, like it's all an aesthetic that um, I love. And mm -hmm. I think like, is like kind of um, having a bit of a revival now. Like she's got like the big, like neon green feather boa in the video. And like, you know, it's like kind of, um, like 90s grunge, like really heavy guitar and the choruses and like borderline pop punk kind of yeah. stuff. And um, I just love it. Like she's like such a great writer and, and you know, the lyrics are like super tongue in cheek and kind of sarcastic and biting. And right. um, it's really cool. I just yeah. love it. So I'm, I'm interested in exploring kind of like, it seems like in Canada with like the way kind of regionalism works is that like you have music scenes in different parts of the country that are actually so different from one another. And that's something mm -hmm. that's kind of always fascinated me. Um, as a Newfoundlander, uh, mm -hmm. what what are some some of like the sort of the key things that stand out to you about the Newfoundland music scene that strike you as being unique? Ah, that's an interesting question. Um... Well, I mean, you know, one of the biggest factors, I was just saying, this is to someone earlier today, actually, that like Newfoundland is um, geographically isolated. So like, you right. know, you can't get there, you have to fly or take a ferry. Right. And I think what that does culturally is that it kind of creates this like contained music scene where, you know, you can have musicians that are like well-known and well-respected and like can kind of make a living just existing in right. Newfoundland. And, um, you know, like, I guess that when I was coming up in that scene, it was really amazing because it was like, people were just kind of coming to our shows because they do that. People, yeah. you know, in St. John's would just go to shows. Like yeah. there's a couple bars there that would be full, uh, you know, every weekend night, what, you know, and like, you'd go downtown and you wouldn't know who was playing and you would just go to the show just yeah. for something to do. Um, which I don't know if that exists in many other places around the country. Um, and I don't know, again, you know, I moved away from there uh, in 2015, so I'm not exactly sure if that's still the case, but um, it, it like creates this like little hub of, um, you know, like there's like folk music and and rock music and indie and hip-hop and like traditional and mm -hmm. um you know like all kinds of different genres kind of existing in this like very tiny little bubble mm -hmm. and um it's pretty amazing yeah well I mean and it's funny that you say that like I, I definitely think that that's still the case and and I know that just from having gone like done east coast tours myself having friends that have done nice. east coast tours like it seems like it's almost like the thing for sort of young Toronto rock and roll bands to do during the summer is to take like a week and a half and go up the East coast precisely because of what you just described. Like I, I was amazed yeah. every single night, you know, we'd be 
playing somewhere where we knew nobody like personally mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. there would be a crowd of like you know 30 to 50 people there which is yeah amazing. like uh, th- that's yeah. just proper proper love for the music which is always nice. yeah it's really cool did you make it to newfoundland um no i don't think See? so and like this is and the that, thing yeah. I know it's so but it's so hard to get to because Newfoundland yeah. is really expensive to get to right it's yeah. like if you're in a van and you have four people which is what we always had it was like you know four hundred dollars to cross over on the ferry yeah. and that's a seven hour ferry ride and then you got to drive nine hours from one side of the province to the other so mm-hmm. bands rarely go there yeah. but I'm telling you the bands that do like it is I mean I can't say that it will always financially be worth it, but like, right. you know, like I, when I was living there, there were bands that would come through that like, because it's so hard to get to not many people go. So it's like, you know, there's a lot of love and support and energy to go around. So like, I, yeah. I always recommend bands, like, you know, if you can afford to do it, to go there yeah. um, and like people will be loyal and they'll, they'll, come out to shows you know yeah or at least they did when i was there it's you know again i haven't lived there for a while <laughs> a lot but. can change in five years but is there almost yeah. like a sort of like you know props for actually making it out here like you know props for making the trek like you kind of you start out with a baseline of respect from uh probably yeah like i remember um there was a um so there's a band from vancouver called uh said the whale yeah. and there was like a bit of like like lore around our little scene because the first time from what I remember being told the rumors the first time they ever played there um they sold out like a 200 person venue and had never been there before and like this was before they like this was probably in like 2006 or 2007 maybe so it was like before they were kind of known across the country so it was like you know people are just like me living there, I remember feeling excited when bands would come from the mainland and, yeah. you know, it was like, it, it's cool. Like it's a, it's a, it's a really unique scene. And I think whatever you experience on the East coast and I felt that too, like it, it, it can kind of be multiplied in Newfoundland cause it is so hard to get to. Yeah, of course. Cause I saw how mean you could be I used to want some explanation Now all I want is my pets and plan CD 
So next time someone makes you feel little, just sing this song inside your head. And like a great big cartoon bubble, these lovely words will dance above their head. Um, so next we're going to get into, um, your Canadian album. And the reason we have this is because, um, you know, as I'm sure, you know, Canadian radio, 30% of the content has to be Canadian. Um, in cases like this, we don't really need it, but it's still nice to do it because all the songs that you picked have been Canadian, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, makes things a little bit easier with the, with the radio station side of things. Um, but, uh, but you picked Sarah Sleen with night bugs. Um, what can you tell us about this album? Um, so I remember the first time I heard this record. So, um, back in the day, I don't know if they still do it anywhere, but like in like HMVs and record stores, you could go in and put on headphones and listen to CDs and stuff. And, um, I remember walking down to the Avalon mall in St. John's and walking into the HMV and, um, looking for something just like kind of looking for new music and I put on those headphones and the first track off of this record uh, is a song called Elliot. And within like the first like five seconds of the song, like at the time I was um, in high school and I was like, you know, my, my musical background is classical. So I was like learning piano and I was like, you know, trying to kind of learn stuff by ear and do that whole thing. And like this, I don't know what it was like. I mean, you know, these like, you know, formative albums of your youth, like whatever it is, there's some kind of, some kind of like indescribable um, connection that you have. And I just remember listening to that album and feeling like there was not anything on it that I didn't love. And it was also produced by Hoxley Workman, who was like one of my big, you know, songwriter loves and, um, I just loved it. It was, you know, like pop, like classical pop kind of yeah, like, of you know, that she had like all kinds of like strings and like orchestral influences. And um, it just really um, hit me. Yeah. And it makes me kind of wonder, like hearing you say that I, I had completely forgotten about those things that used to be in the HMVs. And then I was yeah. listening to Alan Cross did a, uh, did like a whole podcast series on like the history of the two thousands and mm. 
I was just thinking about that actually, like the other day, like, I wonder how many people discovered their favorite bands on yeah. those things. Like, I mean, I oh, remember yeah. listening to like, again, like, as you said, like some of the most formative albums of my early music listening experience yeah. on those things. 100%. Yeah. I have a, a, a memory of um, the first vampire weekend album. So this must've right. been like, as those things were getting phased out. Cause that would have been in like 2008, maybe yeah. or whenever somewhere around there. And I remember like putting on the headphones and listening to like the first, um, I don't even remember what it's called, but it's like a really like fast drum beat and everything's yeah. kind of sloppy. And it like, I was like, this is unbelievable. And like, you know, you don't really get that experience anymore. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to go into my old fart ramblings, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I definitely enjoyed doing that. That was fun. Yeah. I mean, and, and it is, it is interesting. Just sort of, I, I feel like I'm at like, like being 23 years old, I feel like I witnessed like the shift um, mm. it, it, to the extent that like, I like you, learned about so many of my favorite bands from those cd things at hmv but i also learned about so many of my favorite bands from like youtube and streaming services and things like right. that so i kind of yeah. i feel like i kind of fall on both sides of that debate um right. if we were to have that debate which uh it's it sounds like you might have some points loaded up and ready to go <laughs> No, I'm definitely like, I'm totally on board with all of that stuff. And like, I recognize that um, it's interesting that you say that because like, I feel like, you know, like you, you meant you play in a band, right? Yeah. So like, I find that as a consumer versus actually being a part of the music industry, it also looks completely different, right? So totally. like, as a consumer, it's like, you know, um, I came up like when I was really young, like buying tapes and then to CDs and um, you know, now like once streaming came around, it was like, there was no part of me that was not on board with that. Like right. I was like, this is incredible. Are you kidding me? I can have any song that I want. Yeah. I don't need to buy a $20 CD to get yeah. one single and the rest turn out to be crap. Like it was like, you know, life changing. Yeah. Like really, if you're into music and you listen to a lot of music, it, was mind blowing. Yeah. And like as an artist trying to navigate the other side of that and being like, okay, well, older friends of mine, like when I started the band, I was like, you know, older friends of mine sold tons of CDs. So we're mm -hmm. going to do that. And then like realizing that people don't really buy CDs anymore. And then mm -hmm. trying to figure out like how to make money if you're not selling CDs. Like it, it it's like kind of an interesting, um, like I, I it's interesting to kind of be on both sides of it yeah I, mean, I don't know if you find the same thing yeah I mean like I, I definitely w the thing that that confounds me the most these days is thinking about like the act of having to buy an right. album because like you know there definitely was a part of my life where I was you know alive and listening to music and consuming music while that was a thing but my mom was footing the bill. So I didn't right. have to yeah. like, you know, conceptualize, okay, you know, like, cause money's all about trade-offs, right? Like if you spend money on X, you can't spend money on Y. So like, I never mm -hmm. had to make that calculation with mm -hmm. respect to music. Music is always just, you know, yeah, it's always it just been there. comes in. Yeah. And it's, and it's crazy. It, it, that's, that's interesting to hear you describe like how you were setting up repartee at, at just like the at a time when that was completely shifting because so yeah. much has been made of that shift in retrospect. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it must've been interesting to kind of be 
like really kind of in the eye of the storm almost. Yeah, totally. And I also will say there's like, I, I have like <laughs> kind of a unique perspective on it being from Newfoundland because right. like, you know, there are, I think if you were to look, I don't have any stats, obviously, but like, if you were to look at it, CDs probably sell better there than in most places in Canada. Like right. we still have this, like, you know, our little record store in downtown St. John's that seems to be doing quite well and right. like still has like the top 20 albums, you know, up on their wall. And like, it's, it's always been like an exciting thing to be in the top 10 or the top right. five or whatever right. on that wall. And like, you know, like bands, if you if you uh play there people will buy your merch and they'll buy yeah. your cds and like even now like in this ep run like i i decided to to do a short run of 100 cds which if i was like based out of toronto i mean yeah. like if my family was based out of toronto if i grew up here i probably wouldn't do yeah. but i know that like i can probably sell a bunch of them back home right. like it's it's kind of a unique place in that way so like you know on the one hand we were you know kind of preparing ourselves for not selling cds and certainly by the time like all lit up came out in 2016 um like cd sales were lowest that they've ever right. been so you know we had kind of we still made cds but we were like pretty well fully digital yeah. at that point so um you know yeah it's just it's it's like you know, the, all of the messaging back then was like, you know, the industry's collapsing and we're, right. you know, like it was like, like, did you follow any of the like Metallica stuff? Oh, like with Napster all that and everything? Yeah. 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 Well, you know, not like when it was, was happening, but I've read about it heaps since then. Right. So like, you know, there were a lot of artists that were like thinking that their careers were over and, yeah. you know, that we, we kind of had to figure out. And like, I will say that one of the, I mean, Spotify and, and all these streaming platforms don't compensate artists fairly. And I think that people of your generation and younger are just kind of growing up accepting that that's the reality because it is. Right. And like, I'm not saying that I don't accept it, but it's like, it's unfortunate because there was a period in time when artists would have made more money from selling their music yeah. than they do now. So, yeah. um, you know, that's a bit of a bummer, but it's also like, that's just how it is. Like that's yeah. the way the industry is now. So no, and 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 there is a part of it that is kind of heartbreaking, right? Like you know, you you just just because on on this show we we've had people on from you know a wide spectrum of generations, if if mm -hmm. you want to put it like that. So just kind of hearing that, like, just how there was a time, as you said, where you could be like a mid-sized band and make a very comfortable living off of album sales. And now, you know, I have friends and people that we've had on the show who are streaming into the millions and they still have to work other jobs. And it's, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty insane. I remember um, having that realization, like, you know, I said, like, I grew up on much music, right? Like I mentioned and like, we, Repartee had a, had a song that was, on much music mm -hmm. and if that had happened you know 15 20 years earlier yeah we probably would have had a very different career right but by the time that we had gotten there like the industry was so drastically different and yeah. um it's just it's wild sometimes to think about how much has changed so quickly yeah. um you know good or bad like i'm sure there's there's pros and cons to both yeah of course
Um, so I want to I want to get in, back into uh, another one of your new tunes, um, and it's funny that we've talked about you know the sort of like pop punk much music era of music so much because to me uh, one of the hallmarks of that type of music is long song titles, um, and and with this <laughs> yeah. one, and it's funny to, that just the, like because when I first saw this song title, if I can't do it the way I want, then I don't want to do it at all. I literally, I thought to myself, I was like, oh, what a great pop punk song title. <laughs> um, but uh, where, where does that title come from? And, uh, and what can you tell us about this tune? Um, I love that. Thank you. I like, I also like, um, 
do know much about like Fiona Apple. Like she had this album that came out. Her sophomore album right. was like the album name was like 40, 50 words long. Or something. Right, right, like, right. When the pond strikes, when the something, I don't know. Anyway, so like that's my era. Right. Um, and uh, I just like sometimes I am like lucky enough to kind of be struck with this like lyrical concept and then I'll build something around like I'll usually like build a chorus around like a line or whatever and that's exactly what happened with that like I was um you know kind of thinking about like existing in the music industry and um I was uh listening to this interview actually with this incredible artist named Jeremy Dutcher Mm -hmm. um you know like a Canadian guy and and um he was talking about how he like he makes this incredible uh like call back to classical kind of influenced like indigenous music mm-hmm. it's just like it sounds like nothing else and mm-hmm. he's so brilliant and he was talking about how he was like um you know talking about going to the junos i think in 2018 and he said something along the lines of like you know um I kind of wanted to just show up how I was and Mm -hmm. and you know exist like at the Junos being fully me right and like obviously our experiences are super different I'm like you know the straight white woman from Newfoundland and you know but on what I took from that was like how beautiful is that like this person Mm -hmm. is like fully themselves and he's so gifted and his art is so great I think because of how much he's just kind of operating how he wants to yeah and um I was just like geez like that's such a beautiful way to be in in any aspect of life you know like especially thinking about where I was in the music industry I was kind of like you know, I, I had been really burned by a lot of aspects in the industry. And I was like, I want to be an artist. I want to write music. I want to create art. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm just going to take a page out of that book and exist how I want to and yeah. see how it goes. You know, yeah. like, I'll, like, I was like, it can't get any worse. I'm already working a bunch of side jobs. Like I'm already a bartender and a server and picking up hosting. Like, it's like, you know, what else? Like, even if it means that I will have to have a day job for the rest of my life, like it's like, I would rather do that than um, exist in the industry as I was before. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean like that, you know, there is something to be said for just like at the end of the day, knowing that you are like unapologetically yourself and like, and, and some, you know, there obviously in many cases, there's a price to pay for that. But I think, you know, by and large folks who are that way, reflect on it and say that it's worth yeah. it um so yeah. before we wrap up we always like to give our guests just a chance to plug um you know everything and anything that you've got going on where to find you um what to expect from you etc um so yeah what uh what can our listeners expect to hear from you so uh i got an ep coming out on november 27th it's called a thousand ways and um I'm going to drop another single, the last single, actually the day before, just to kind of um, as like one little tiny little lead up. Sweet. Um, yeah. So that comes out on Friday, November 27th. And um, 
yeah, I've got some other stuff in the works. Like I, I um, engineered and, and produced, co-produced and mixed this uh, client in Newfoundland. And she's just on the cusp of getting everything out. Like we were just listening to the last round of masters um, a couple days ago. So right. that's going to be out soon too, but I don't have a date. All right, cool. All righty, thanks a ton to Meg Warren for joining us this week. And as she said, you can check out her new EP wherever you get your music. And as always, you can get full versions of this show wherever you get your podcasts or at havingachat.com. The show is produced by myself and Hillary Johnston, and all social media and marketing material is done by Petra Walker, so don't forget to follow us on social media at havingachat. Theme music is composed by Duncan Briggs and Sugarglass. And to wrap up this week's show, this is Meg Warren with If I Can't Do It The Way I Want, Then I Don't Want To Do It At All. I don't want to do it at all. Oh.